Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA. Glad to see so many faces here today. We're continuing our series called No Big Deal, not Deal or No Deal, No Big Deal, and we are in part two. And let me just get you caught up real quick in case you missed last week and you don't know what the series is all about. What we're talking about is those little sins, those minor sins, those no big deal sins that oftentimes we don't even call them sins anymore. Like what used to be called sin, oftentimes we refer to as issues. We don't have sins, we have issues, or we have weaknesses, or we have struggles, or we have flaws, or whatever it may be, we try to dance around the issue about whether it's sin or not sin. But what we're seeing, what we saw last week, and we'll continue today, is that maybe some of those minor sins, those no big deal sins, those quote issues that we're just struggling with, maybe they are a big deal after all. And maybe in God's eye, they're actually quite as big a deal as any of the, uh, the big ones. Because what we saw last week is that while the earthly consequences of sin may differ, which we kind of understand, the spiritual consequences of sin is the same. That whether it's a big sin or a little sin, whether it's a little lie or a big lie, whether it's I gossip about you on the social media and I tell the whole wide world your secrets, or I gossip about you in, just front of, in front of just one other person. In God's eyes, it's the same. In God's eyes, if I'm angry and not forgiving a person, whether it's justified or not justified, it's the same. And the reason is, okay, this was like the paradigm shift that we discussed last week, that if you get this concept, you'll understand why, why these things are big deal or no big deal. Because the definition of sin, what we have in our mind, sin equals big things that get you on the news. But that's not sin. Sin, who remembers the definition of sin? It was, it was, sin is to miss the mark. Sin is any deviation from the target. All right, and if you think about it like a treasure chest, X marks the spot. Even if you're one foot or two feet or five feet or 50 feet or 75 feet, it doesn't matter. Either you're on the mark or you're not on the mark. Either you hit the mark or you miss the mark. Same thing if you're shooting a, a bow and arrow. Uh, the, the, the target. Same thing if it's golf, whether it's in the hole, either it's in the hole or it's not in the hole. How about right here? Here we meet at George Mason University. Address is 335-3351 Fairfax Drive. If you go to 3352 Fairfax Drive, you will not be here. If you go to 3353 Fairfax Drive, you will not be here. So one might be closer than the other, but either you're at 3351 or you're not here with us. And it's, it, it is no other option. Either you hit the mark or you miss the mark. And that's what we saw last week is that our life on this earth is like a rocket ship, okay? It's like a rocket ship because we got a long life in front of us, hopefully. All right, we got a long life and there's a target, all right? And that target, the mark is Christ. He's the target, he's the mark. Think like him, talk like him, treat others like him, he's the mark. And any deviation from Christ will get us in the wrong place. So a rocket ship that has to go a million miles, if it's just one degree off, it doesn't seem like it would make a difference, right? It's just one degree, one degree, but over the course of our life, that one degree can make a huge problem for us, right? And that's how we're trying to go about approaching sin, is any minor deviation is going to get us into major problems. As I say that, like I said last week, the goal is not to discourage you. The goal is not to make you feel like, ugh, I can never be perfect, I can never be good, I can never hit the target. No, it's the same way that when you go to a doctor and he says that little lump might be a serious lump, he's not doing it to discourage you or laugh at you or ha ha ha. What he's doing is try to heal you and help you. And that's what we're doing here in this series. We're talking about five little sins, 
small little minor ones that we don't even consider sin. But I'm here to tell you that those little ones, you need to take them seriously because they can get you in a major problem. I'm not telling you that to discourage you. I'm telling you that so I can show you the path to healing. Okay, we don't get angry at the doctor when he gives us the diagnosis. All right, especially when the doctor here tells us that the, di that the, the cure is free, no insurance, no copay, no waiting in line for nothing. The, the cost of the, of the solution is free. All it takes is to take it serious and repent. Because what we talked about last week is that God sent his son into this world to carry our sin so that we wouldn't have to. And that is a big deal. And if you make no big deal out of your sin, you make no big deal out of the forgiveness of your sin and no big deal out of the one who came to give it. That's not gonna be us. We make a big deal out of our savior and the forgiveness that he came to give, but the only way to truly understand the impact of what Christ did is to realize that these minor sins are not minor. Every one of them is deadly. So we're gonna talk about little sin called lying in a couple weeks. We're gonna talk about little sin called bitterness. Talk about little sin called gossip. Talk about little sin called criticism. And today, the smallest one of all, that as soon as I say sin, you're gonna say, Father Anthony, that's not a sin. This is just part of life. We're gonna talk about sin of complaining. And did you know that complaining is a sin? It is breaking a commandment of God. Philippians chapter two, verse 14. Let's read it all together so you don't think I'm just making this up. Read it with me. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Let's say that one again. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Now turn to your spouse and say it. Do all things. No, I'm just joking, just joking, just joking. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Let's play a little game. We're in a game mood here today. Raise your hand if you know somebody who complains a lot, okay? Hands up everywhere, 100%. Okay, now let's, let's see how long we keep these hands up. Raise your hand, okay? If you know someone who, a person you know who complains a lot is someone that you deal with at work. Someone you deal with at work, okay? Raise your hand if it's someone uh, who you may deal with maybe at home. Maybe, maybe not necessarily in your, I was gonna say not in your immediate home, okay? But maybe someone who may be at the Christmas table or Thanksgiving table. Raise your hand if it's someone maybe in this room right now, maybe, no, no. Raise your hand if you're complaining right now about playing this stupid game. All right, very good. <laughs> We all know complainers, and if we're honest, at times, we're all the complainer that someone else is raising their hand about. I did a little research, okay, about what are the things that people complain about most. When I say research, by the way, that means I did a Google search. Okay, that's all I did. So my research showed that men and women complain about different things. Women, for the most part, okay, are relationship-centered in their complaining. So women tend to complain about their spouse, tend to complain about their kids, tend to complain about their relationships, okay? Women tend to complain about people, okay, that are people. Men have much more substance. Men complain about important things like traffic, the economy, bad drivers, their boss, who left the lights on and there's nothing on TV. These are the top five complaints for men. <laughs> and there was one that I've scrolled down the list in my extensive research, okay, that in my research, I found one that made me perk up a little bit. Men complain, it was down, it wasn't in the top five, it was down further, about people who put the toilet paper on the wrong direction. And this was one, yes, all the men are like, yes, of course, because this is something I learned at a very young age, and I'll tell you this right now, you never trust anyone who goes underhand on the toilet paper dispension. <laughs> is complaining that big a deal 
Like, who cares? This is the epitome of a victimless crime. Like, who cares if I complain about the toilet paper? Who cares if I complain about the traffic? Who cares if I complain about my boss? Is it really a big deal? The issue, again, this is what I said a minute ago. The issue isn't how bad a sin is it? The issue is, is it hitting the mark or is it missing the mark? Because the mark is Christ. So if it's anything other than how Christ would live, how Christ would speak, how Christ would look at a situation, then it's missing the mark, it's a deviation, and it is therefore sin. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, but an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So what Jesus is saying here is the stuff that's coming out of your mouth is an indication of deeper spiritual heart matters. And the same is true about complaining. I asked myself, forget about the research. I started to think to myself, what are the most common things that people complain about to me? Okay, because in, in my line of work, you hear a lot of complaints. What are the things that people complain about? And I started to think, people complain, okay, three things. People complain about spouse, kids, and job. Those are the top three things that I hear about a lot. Spouse, kids, and job. And then I thought to myself, if people didn't have a spouse, that's actually one of the other biggest complaints, that I don't have a spouse. Another big complaint is that I don't have any children. Another huge complaint is that I don't have a job. So when we have a job, we complain about our job. When we don't have a job, we complain that we don't have a job. When we're single, we complain that we're single and we don't have a spouse. Then we get a spouse and we complain about the spouse. We don't have kids, we wish we had kids. Then we have the kids, we just can't, can't wait to get rid of the kids. So the issue is us. The issue is us. The issue isn't the thing. The problem is us. We complain. We complain when we have too much to do at work. We complain when they're not utilizing our talents at work. We complain when we don't have enough stuff. We complain when we have too much stuff. We need to simplify our life. No matter what it is, we find a way to complain. It says more about us than it says about the situation. Our goal today is to figure out this inner problem of complaining, okay? Complaining, what you say is an outer manifestation of an inner problem, an inner spiritual problem. Our goal today is to figure it out and to come up with a plan to address it. Now, any topic, any discussion on complaining has to mention a group of people in the scripture who like, if complaining was like an Olympic sport, like gold medal year after year. And these were the Israelites in the Old Testament in the book of, of Exodus. Okay, these guys, they were professional complainers. And you could throw them in any situation and they could find something to complain about. And some people, you know, can relate to that very, very, very well. These were a group of people, okay, remember back in the story of the Old Testament. God said to this group of people, you're my special people. You're my children. You be my people, I'll be your God. You don't have a king. You don't have a government. I will be your king. I will be your government. I will take care of you. But then they ended up at a certain point in time, okay, through a series of, of, of circumstances, they ended up in Egypt as slaves. So they complained and they cried to God. And they said, God, we hate it here. We don't want to be slaves forever. So God heard their cry. And God sent them Moses. And God did 10 plagues, the, like the, the, the likes of the world has never seen since. And God freed them miraculously, took them in front, away from all the bad guys, said, now you guys are free. And he brought them in front of the Red Sea. And he opened the Red Sea. And they walked through the Red Sea like they walked down a, down, down a hallway, in the hallway outside. 
And then the bad guys started to chase them. And they came in the same Red Sea. So God closed the Red Sea on the bad guys and drowned them all. And these people got a miraculous deliverance. And they're out in the wilderness. The first thing they said is, we're hungry. So God said, okay, you're hungry. What can I find? What can I whip up? Okay, I don't got much here in the wilderness, but I'm going to take the food of the angels. He sent the manna from heaven, which is the food of the angels. So like the angels were eating something and God took it out their plate, okay, to hand it to the people. A divine room service delivered outside their doorstep every single day, packaged outside nice and neatly at no cost. The people said, we're thirsty. Said, okay, ain't no water fountains here, but you see that rock over there? We're going to make the rock like a water fountain. And God brought water from a rock. And the people, everything the people needed, God provided. They were hungry, God fed them. They were thirsty, God gave them drink. They were scared, they didn't know where to go. God led them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He gave them a pillar of cloud to lead them. And they said, but we can't see the cloud at night, it's dark. Okay, turn the cloud into a fire. So at night it's fire, the day, like what is it more that you needed? Even one of the things, while the Israelites were in the desert for so many years, their clothes never wore out. Their clothes didn't wear out because they had no place to buy new clothes or make new clothes. Their clothes never wore out. And this is special significance to me because just this past week, I had to retire a shirt from 1997, okay? <laughs> and it wore a special significance to me. It was a Simpsons t-shirt that I actually got from a Simpsons writer who I met in Dulles Airport during a, like a hurricane or something like that. We we're all stuck in the airport for so long. I said, hey, you have a lot of Simpsons stuff. Are you a Simpsons writer? I'm a Simpsons fan. And he said, yes, my name is James Brooks. You can go look him up. 1997, had to retire. May it's blessing be with us all, amen. <laughs> Bottom line, nothing God didn't provide for his people. Nothing God didn't provide for his people. Anything they needed, he provided. And here's the people, Exodus 14. Sounds a lot like us. They said to Moses one time, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have to say that you have to read this in a whiny voice. Because there were no graves in Egypt, that's why you have taken us to the way to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we would die in the wilderness. Like get the violin and just kind of start strumming away. Because when you were over there, you said, we don't like Egypt. And then we said, okay, let's go out of Egypt. And they said, but it could be hard and it could be high. We don't know. And God, Moses said, come on, we're going to go. It's going to be okay. And now it's hard. And they're like, but it's hard. And we should have just left us back there. And boo-hoo. We laugh at them. We laugh at them. But I'll tell you one of the things that I, I, I get scared of. I get scared that history, okay, history one day will look at us the way we look at them. That history will look at us the way we look at them. Because you have us who have more blessings than any of our parents' generations, than, than millions of people in this world, billions of people would trade places with us in a heartbeat. And we find ways to complain. The job that you got, the salary that you got, the office that you got that you complain about, billions of people would trade places with you in a second. Billions of people would trade places for the house that you got that you complain about. People would, would trade, people who can't have children would trade places and take your children in a moment. People who are struggling to find a spouse would trade places with you and your spouse that doesn't know how to do the dishwasher thing, right? It would trade places with you in a heartbeat. And we have so much and we find a way to complain. They complained about silly things, not substantial things like us. Like we have an old phone, the Wi-Fi is too slow, 
and I've only got two bars. I wonder if history will look at us the way we look at them. Well, one time, Moses had enough of these Israelites, and Moses let, it, like, let, let loose on them. He said, I can't take these people no more. Exodus chapter 16, look what Moses says. He says, the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him, and what are we? Meaning, leave me alone. Your complaints are not against us. Well, watch out. But against the Lord. Uh-oh. Did you know that? Did you know that when you complain? Like what Moses is saying right here is these complaints that you guys are uttering, you're not hurting me. You may be complaining to me, but your complaints are about him. And did you know that when you complain, your complaint is truly about God? This answers the question, why is complaining a big deal? Complaining is a big deal for this. God takes our complaining personally. So we need to take it seriously. God takes our complaining personally. So we need to take it seriously. It is not a victimless crime. It is not a no big deal. It is an offense against the almighty God who has given you everything that you have and never left you for one second. Parents get this. Okay, why does God take complaining personally? Parents, we get this. We do everything for our kids. We cook for them. We, we provide for them. We entertain them. We drive them around like, like, we were, like we're uber professional uber. Like that's all we have to do in our life. And what do we hear? I'm bored. This tastes bad. I'm still bored. I want new whatever. I'm bored. Like all we hear is whining and complaining. And sometimes you just want to say, you little ingrates. You little ingrates, after all we provide for you and after all that we give to you. And yes, I do take my kids complaining personally because it's a shot at me. Parents, okay, if you want a great verse, a great verse, if you ever frustrated with a complaining kid or anyone frustrated with a complaining person, look at Numbers chapter 11, verse one. This is the best verse ever when you're annoyed at your children. Numbers 11, one. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. If you go home today and you got fire burning around the outskirts of your yard, you are complaining too much. Because God takes our complaints personally. And we, therefore, we need to take them more seriously. Let's make this personal. And let me ask you to listen to the rest of my message here today in the context of the following question. What's the one thing you complain most about? What's the one thing that you, everyone has something. What's the one thing you are most negative about? What's the one thing that you find it hard to see good in? What's the one thing that you, uh, that causes you to uh, complain about? Is it your family, your spouse, husband can't get it right, wife can't get it right? Is it a job, a boss, a coworker? Is it a financial, is it a economy thing? Like what's the thing that you complain most about that you're most negative about. I wish I was married. I wish I wasn't married. I wish I had kids. I wish I had different kids. Like what's the one thing that you find yourself most negative, most difficult to see positive in? My hope by the end of today is to convince you that complaining about your problem is not helping. And in fact, my hope is to convince you that actually complaining about your problem might be keeping you stuck in it. That complaining about your problem 
might be keeping you stuck inside that problem and you are not even aware of it. We're gonna see two passages from the life of St. Paul. And these, both these passages we're gonna see is was written at the end of St. Paul's life. And those who know the life of St. Paul know that if someone had a right to complain, it was St. Paul. St. Paul didn't do anything except want to serve God and be faithful to God and preach the word of God. And he didn't care about salary. He didn't care about house. He didn't care about a place to stay. He didn't care about any stuff. He just wanted to serve God and be faithful. And his reward was trial after trial, problem after problem, hardship after hardship, okay? And we're gonna see two passages he wrote at the end of his life, one from Philippians and one from 2 Timothy chapter four. Both of these passages at the end of his life, and you would expect, as I would expect, that God, who sees St. Paul and all the work that he's doing, and St. Paul put in the time, and St. Paul went the hardship, okay, he's at the end now. He's awaiting death. Go easy on the guy. Like, go easy on the guy because he's old. He's put in his time. Things should turn up for him at the end because God is fair, and life is going to be better, and it's going to be okay. But we'll see from St. Paul at the end, his life doesn't get any better. But St. Paul still, watch his attitude and see what he says. We're gonna look at first, 2 Timothy chapter four. We're gonna see a large passage, but we're gonna go through it kind of quick. Don't worry about the details, but we're trying to focus more is on his attitude towards the different things that are happening, that happened to him in his life. 2 Timothy chapter four. This is his final word to his disciple, Timothy. Again, one of the last letters he penned. Because I charge you therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. It doesn't seem that St. Paul is slowing down. Doesn't seem like he's saying, you know what, Timothy, go easy. There's a long race. And I'm telling you from my own experience, man, I serve God, I preach and it got me in all kinds of problems. So don't be in such a rush to preach. Okay, take it easy and enjoy your life because life is just miserable. Like we don't see that side of, of, of St. Paul that we might expect. Continues, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Verse six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It's a beautiful expression. I am being poured out as a drink offering. My life is disappearing in front of my eyes. I am dying. I am being killed in front of my own eyes. I'm seeing it in front of me. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Does it sound like he's complaining? Doesn't it kind of almost sound like he's proud of what he's endured? Like we would say like, God, this life stinks. This life is miserable and problem after problem. But St. Paul is saying it like, I mean, I'm proud that I endured and I made it to the end. He saw good, verse eight. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So here he sheds some light on his motivation for not complaining. What is St. Paul's motivation of why he doesn't complain and why it is that he is not looking at the negative? St. Paul isn't seeing just necessarily the cost, but he's seeing, you know what? Yes, I'm enduring, and yes, I'm suffering, and yes, there's pain, and yes, there's hardship, but there's what at the end of the, of the hardship? There's a reward. This is the guy, okay, if, you're, if, you're, if you've never been like a gym guy, okay, or you're not into the working out thing, you look and you're like, what are these people, insane? Like they're just pushing themselves for no reason? Like why stand when you can sit? Why run when you can nap? Like why would anyone do any of these things? Like are they nuts? But they say no, because there's a reward at the end, hopefully. 
Okay, like there's a goal at the end I'm trying to get to. And what St. Paul is saying is, my life is not just to be comfortable. Like, did you think that's me? Because yes, my goal is just to be comfortable. This is a miserable existence. But I'm driving somewhere. There's a mark that I'm trying to get to. And I'm not focused so much on the cost. I'm focused on the goal. He gets more personal in verse nine. He starts saying now some different hardships that he endured. Be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. What is he saying right there? What's the suffering that he's enduring right here that he's telling us about? He's saying, I am alone. He's writing, he's writing this, by the way, from a Roman prison awaiting his execution. St. Paul started churches all over the world and he had disciples everywhere and people everywhere said, St. Paul's the best. And they attended his sermons and they loved him. And if he wrote a book, they would have bought it, but they didn't have to because it was free, just sent it free letters. And they said, he's the best, he's the best, he's the best. And now he's all by himself. And he said, that guy left me. And that guy left me. And no one remembers me, abandoned. Next, gets even more hard to, to swallow. Verse 11, this is an old guy, St. Paul, left by himself. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. He's saying like, someone come visit me. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Look what he says right now. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. Bring the cloak, why? I'm cold. Like old guy, serve God. Like, come on, man, like someone be 